Welcome to Shared Instance, a podcast on iOS development by three iOS developers in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm Sam Corder. I'm Alex Argo. And I'm Alex Robinson. This is episode 108. Hello, gentlemen, and welcome back. So, a few more weeks until we, well, at least I do, and hopefully quite a few of our listeners get to stand in line for a couple hours waiting to get into a a hall to see Tim Cook speak, uh, a.k.a. WWDC. So I thought we might go over some of the things we expect to to see announced at the, at the conference. Or maybe just want to see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, expect, want, you know, maybe don't necessarily want to see. But yeah. We did have we did have one news item. Do we want to talk about that first or Yeah, yeah. Go for it. Um so Phil Schiller did an interview um recently and uh basically uh one of one of the questions that came up to him was uh app store upgrade pricing. That's been a common request from developers. And he basically said it's kind of complex. Uh, more complex than people know. Um, so it's like healthcare. And <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I mean, I, I think he even says, you know, it's it's a problem that could be solved, but we feel like there's a lot more important areas to put effort into that will make things better for developers in the long run. And there's been a lot of commentary. It seems like angry developers, for the most part, responding to Apple basically kind of priming the pump, if you will, saying that they didn't expect there to be any announcements about App Store upgrade pricing. It's like they're pre-dub-dub, let's leak some things or say some things so that when that doesn't get announced, people don't get, don't get cranky. So I don't know. What do you guys think on this App Store upgrade pricing stuff? Yeah, I could see that as trying to get in front of the issue a little bit and set expectations. Don't look here. Look over there. It's a lot cooler over there. We got great stuff coming. Yeah. But but what are your guys' thoughts on the on the fact that they're saying there's not much value to having App Store upgrade pricing? That's what most of the people have been talking about. I think more and more software vendors like Adobe have been moving towards a subscription pricing. Even Sketch went to that model. So I could see them trying to address the problem that way, or at least there's, there's a, a path to get reoccurring revenue that way. I don't think subscription pricing works for everybody. So, and I don't think both from a product standpoint and from a consumer standpoint, it's not, not the best model for everything. So I, I think having an upgrade model would be nice. I don't, I, I think we've talked about Omni Group and their approach before, and it's kind of a hybrid of in-app purchases and, and, uh, the freemium model now. And that kind of works. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, there's a bunch of hacks you can do with bundles to approximate upgrade pricing too. I guess, I guess in my mind, I don't, I don't see upgrade pricing being that useful because the biggest issue that, that paid updates have or paid apps have in the app store is that people pay once and then they never get updated because supposedly it's too hard to do 
kind of that upgrade model. But I, I think really it's the it's the expectation that you pay once and then you just get updates free forever from people. And and I think uh, while some people may say it like devalues software, I, I feel like if you're saying if you want a good good app to be maintained or whatever, then you're paying a subscription for it uh, as an alternative. Then that kind of reinforces the value. Oh, this is a thing that it's worth 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 paying a subscription for. Um, I, I know customers would much rather. I mean, it makes sense. You're buying something. I don't want to have to pay every month or every year or whatever it is to keep using that thing. There's a new version of the OS every year. I mean, it, uh, updates have to happen regardless. So if you, I feel like if you want apps to stick around and you don't want them to be like ad supported or kind of scammy in-app purchase style apps, then I feel like subscriptions are much more sustainable than upgrade pricing. I don't know. It is, but at the same time, when you look at a subscription, you're from a mindset of a person buying this software or this subscription, you know, they're, they're making a commitment, right? So they're going to say, all right, I'm going to buy this software subscription and it's going to auto renew. And I'm, this is money out of my budget every month or every year or whatever. And if you do this enough times, you're going to basically be spending a lot of money per month just to maintain your current level of software. Well, right. But I guess the alternative is a bunch of people love this app. They pay for it up front. Uh, and then it goes away. And then it, sto- and then it stops working with some OS yeah. release or whatever. And the developers abandon the app because they weren't making enough money on it. So right. but, I guess, but I think I guess that that whole barrier that the barrier of uh, fear of commitment in people will just, make the uh, software not viable from the get-go. We're all right, and that's why you have trials or other business models like free with ads or free with in-app purchases. If if you really don't want to pay for anything, there are business models that support that, but I guess I I don't see that much in the way of a business model that, that helps out, that makes an app last other than what we've talked about before or premium. I don't feel like app store upgrade pricing does that as effectively. And it seems like it'd be a waste to spend a lot of time updating it to do that. And also suggest that you're going to be doing major releases, you know, maybe once a year versus a lot of little feature improvements throughout the year. Yeah. This, this may be, this analogy may fall apart, but I feel like app store upgrade pricing is like the waterfall of, of business models, whereas something more agile is subscription pricing. You do one chunk at a time, you pay for it, and then yeah. you get another chunk and another chunk, and it kind yeah. of encourages that type of development too. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Is that is that ridiculous? Not not completely, no. <laughs> but you know, I, I definitely think upgrade pricing suggests that you're going to have a major feature enhancement or several feature enhancements. Uh, with each upgrade. Otherwise, how are you going to convince people to upgrade short of it just being kind of a, a lock-in model? Like, to some degree, the Adobe Creative Cloud or Creative Suite before the Creative Cloud was kind of that. You you kind of upgraded because you had to upgrade because everybody in the industry uses that, that software. 
Uh, but you could get yeah, and then you have you could get by with skipping oh. one or two releases in that model. For Creative Cloud, you're oh, yeah, always and then up you to have, date. Yeah, and then you have poor Daniel Jalkut over there who's trying to do a new version of his of Mars Edit, but he hasn't found you know that big enough features to be able to call it a a new release, and he's you know he can't charge upgrade price in, until he's got that major release. So uh, right. yeah, I guess. Well, and he also hasn't. Seems problematic. He also hasn't released in a few years. So, if I was somebody who three years ago purchased a software subscription for Mars Edit, and for three years I hadn't got anything but the ability to to just keep running the software on my system, I think I would be a little mad. Well, I mean, he's done bug fix updates and all that kind of stuff over time, right? But no new major features. So the, this the your agile uh, metaphor kind of breaks down it, with him because he's more doing the waterfall approach. Well, he is doing the waterfall approach. That's that's exactly. He doesn't have all the money coming in, so he's got. I mean, we we hear about it in his podcast, but he's doing all kinds of other stuff too, like consulting and stuff like that to to pay the bills. I'm pretty sure, doesn't he? I think that was Manton. I don't know that he ever did any. Consulting. Maybe I'm wrong about that. You can cut that part out. <laughs> but, but yeah, if he were wanting to, you know, maybe if he was was releasing periodically, and I was paying a subscription, a periodic amount of money to him every so often, then it would be okay. But if, conversely, if a developer just kind of takes the subscription money and runs, or sits on their release for a long time, then I'm not going to feel too good about it. Right. And I think sketch is probably a good example of where they scaled up their team in order to do more feature releases more often to really justify that subscription model. Because prior to that, it was, you know, two, three years in between major releases. So the upgrade pricing was spread out quite a bit. And now they're doing fairly frequent updates with both bug fixes and feature enhancements, but nothing or you know, not so many features that you would call that a, a major release. Yeah. And I guess if, if you're in the situation where you, there's an app and just it just working and you using it all the time, isn't worth the uh, however much a year or month subscription, then you stop and you don't use it anymore. Um, and then they go work on something else. I mean, I guess I don't see a problem with with that necessarily. Uh, I guess I just feel like subscription overall has will make apps more sustainable than upgrade pricing. Yeah, will I think for me it just comes down to the the type of application and the business model. It I think it really depends on what what it is you're selling. I think if it's a utility app, a subscription is probably not going to make a whole lot of sense. I'd rather just pay for it w once and, you know, upgrade later. But if it's something like an IDE or um, UI design tool that I'm going to use practically every day, subscription makes a lot of sense to me. Well, so like, what about a mail client? That's yeah. something where, in theory, you would get to where you wanted to be and you wouldn't want it to change majorly all the time or add all these features, I guess it would, would be my one, I guess if I was going to buy a, a Mayo client, but we've seen so many Mayo clients 
they come out, everyone like, this is the best male client ever. And then they either get acquired by some company because they weren't making enough money and then shut or down, they, yeah. it just goes away. Yeah. Either way, they, they almost all of them go away. There's a few that have managed to stay around, which is a shame because it's, yeah. it's, there's, there's one I've been using lately. It's not on iOS, but it's for Mac and windows called shift. Um, it's one of those. that's kind of like a, a wrapper around all your Google accounts. So it gives you an easier way to switch back and forth between them than like having multiple windows open or using the account switcher to constantly switch back and forth. And it uses a, a subscription. It's like 20 bucks a year or something like that. And if they keep, keep it running, cause you know, the service they depend on change and stuff like that, I I'll happily keep paying for it cause it does what I want to do. <laughs> maybe I'm, it sounds like maybe I'm crazy. I don't know. <laughs> No, uh, I think it, like I said, I think it comes down to the particular product in, in business model. But, uh, so uh, why don't we jump on over to the the second part, and that's our dub dub prediction slash wish list. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. So you, you've done a, a pretty good job on our Trello board here with uh, organizing everything. You want to start off with a couple of your favorite I, I think we could just sum up the whole thing by saying more emojis. <laughs> I think that's all that's going to matter. <laughs> more animated emojis or yeah. something. Animated? What? Animated. animated. They, they added the, the gift thing to iMessages. Yeah, we got the touch bar with emojis. We got the uh, the iMessage apps with the sticker, sticker apps. Which so. I actually used the touch bar to try to find an emoji the other day that is not easy you have to if you're looking well one from for me the story of my emoji use is hmm this looks like a good place for an emoji let's see if they have this object and then i try and find it find it find it find it and realize that no there is not that object but even when there is that object that that touch bar i mean it's responsive and everything but you're seeing one row of these things at a time and you can swipe through, but your fingers are in the way of what you're swiping over. So it's not necessarily the easiest to see it. It wasn't the, the best emoji picker. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. So kind of jumping off from there, you, know, you mentioned the iMessage apps um, with iOS 11, kind of on the fence of whether or not they're going to try and fix the iMessage apps or if that's just going to become abandonware because at least from my vantage point outside of that first month or two uh, I don't think they really have uh, panned out in the end I, I think the experience is probably still a little clunky I don't think it's quite what it provided enough value for people actually to use it and sustain it I mean it was a neat well, I, idea I think... but I don't know if it really executed the way they thought. Well, I think stickers have caught on like lots of people include stickers in new apps or whatever, if they get bigger or if a new app comes out and people use them. So, and I don't know, I, maybe there just wasn't a business case to be made for a lot of those iMessage apps to exist. I mean, just, just giving us the APIs doesn't always give us the magical. Right. Kind of the same thing with the watch OS apps. So some yeah. major brands have, kind of reverse direction and realized that it didn't make a whole lot of sense. But I don't know. I 
I don't know if they're going to double down on it or if uh, if we'll just see that kind of go to the wayside as a a nice try, but didn't really have any legs. Well, but. so so uh, Starbucks came out with a pretty good implementation of an iMessage app, and it, it's really just an extension of their app. But you can send digital gift cards to people via the, the their iMessage app, and that's a pretty cool experience, and yeah. makes good sense for Starbucks. Yeah, and uh, I think what Venmo you can send money through iMessage as well. Probably, user. Yeah. I'm not hip, hip I mean, enough it's, to be on that. It seems like there's some cases for existing apps where it makes a lot of sense to to do the iMessage app, but yeah. maybe there just haven't been any like iMessage only apps as a as a thing that makes sense to people. And I think a lot of people originally thought that this would be a great way to play like turn based games, but the the way that Apple implemented implemented privacy inside of the framework, it really made it all but impossible to to play a game with more than two people because you just don't know who is who. Everybody has unique IDs, identifiers for themselves and for each other. And my IDs, my set of IDs are not necessarily the same as your set of IDs. So when we go and talk to say a central server, it just doesn't work because you can't say, oh, well, so-and-so just did this or so-and-so did that. It's more like somebody did something and you don't know who it was, but it happened. And so that made game programming for, with these things nearly impossible. Yeah, I guess like a lot of the chat apps that are popular in countries aren't United States have had some pretty good success with that. So maybe there's something Apple could do to, to replicate that. I don't. Maybe it's a cultural thing where some of those types of apps are more attractive to people and whatever other countries that they're in. I don't know. Yeah. I, yeah. But yeah, that might be a cool addition if, if they come out with that. Yeah. yeah I can I see think, them maybe relaxing those privacy restrictions a little bit or allowing the user to authorize the app to know who is in your, in your chat with you. That could be a possibility. And then, then those things become more viable. Yeah. And something that we talked about before with iMessage is, you know, the idea of bots. And I think some of the other, messaging apps have that like facebook messenger slack which is a little bit different paradigm but um you know it's kind of a different direction on that iMessage app and you know what i think is kind of useful about it is you, know, you tie that to siri and i i think we've talked about this before sometimes you don't want to talk to your phone sometimes you'd know, be nice to use text to ask siri a question or any kind of bot yeah I think maybe they will open up the platform. That would be an interesting uh, discussion. What if we if that does happen? You know, what would that programming interface look like? Are they going to only support Swift, or will it just be some kind of WebSocket connection, or maybe like uh, proto proto buffers? Yeah, you know, something that's more compact and, and easier to use than than REST and JSON. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting. Maybe, maybe they maybe they'll finally get their get themselves behind a nice Swift server side framework, and it'll be really nice and easy to program these iMessage bots and run it from your from your Linux box using Swift code. I had some some quick real time follow up about our expectation that there will be new emojis. It looks like 
whatever the standards body who um, says what the new emojis will be has already in March of of this year uh, declared what the new emojis for emojis 5.0 will be, which is part of Unicode 10. Um, And they said all the vendors are going to release them the second half of this year. So here are our emojis. I just gave you guys a link that'll make all of our users upgrade to iOS 11. So there's, there's a bunch of animals. There's like a zombie, a vampire, like a mermaid, all kinds of good stuff. (laughs) Elves. There you go. There's a, there's a Steven Gobert one. (laughs) The face with raised eyebrow. Oh, Stephen Colbert claimed that it was uh, <laughs> modeled after him. <laughs> there's there's face vomiting. I'm sure that one will get used a bunch. Oh yeah, that that needs Everyone to be there. That. Interesting. There's a breastfeeding one. Hmm. There's zombies. How could I forget the zombies? Oh, you said that. There's a. How did I? Yeah. There's a man and a woman not together in steamy in room. Steamy room. <laughs> <laughs> Holding up something. I'm not sure what. It looks like a spoon to me, yeah. but who knows? Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's just a sauna. Yeah, I think it's yeah. It's the, <laughs> no, it's a steamy room. You, it's not a sauna. Pick up the <laughs> use the spoon to pour water on the hot rocks. All right, you yeah. should put this link in the show notes this week, Sam, so so our users can see what's gonna <laughs> or our our listeners will see what's gonna make their users update to iOS eleven. And we got a hedgehog yeah. now. That's awesome. The T Rex definitely need broccoli. <laughs> Kale, cauliflower, it's all the same play. Oh, we've got uh, curling stone. Got a couple new flags, new old flags, I guess. It's not like they're new countries. Okay. They've been promoted to officially having a flags. Oh, wait, no, it's uh, it's England, Scotland, and Wales flags because of Brexit, right? No, I mean, they're all part of... I UK. guess they're all countries already. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know why they suddenly have flags. They're all kind of separate It's countries, England, but... Scotland, and Wales. Yeah. That's interesting. Well, they're all talking about getting independent, so we'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they do already have the list of the 5.1 as well. <laughs> they move quick. Yeah. And they have a few more flags, and there's finally a pirate flag coming in 5.1. We're all excited about that. Oh, yeah, the rainbow flag. That's good. All right. That's probably enough for emojis, but I don't think uh, that's too far off from the amount of time that Apple is going to spend focusing on emojis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you yeah, know, kind of related to, to Siri as well, uh, I think we'll get some more Siri kit intents. So I think we had about six different scenarios where we could tie into Siri kit. I expect that that'll get expanded, hopefully a lot, um, with the next, with iOS 11, but we'll see how, how far that goes. It'll and, be all part of their new Siri in a can. Yeah, yeah, it could be. I mean, I, I still don't think it's going to be as open as the Amazon skills, but you know, hopefully it will be quite a bit more robust than what we have now. Um, we've well, but Sam's talking about the hardware thing, right? Yeah, I'm talking but, about the hardware. But. but you know, theoretically, that's a catalyst for adding additional functionality to Siri gotcha. or capabilities. Uh, Argo, you you had brought up a while back about 
the idea of the iPad profiles that are available in the education edition. I forget exactly what they called it, but um, yeah, a, I think it came out like iOS 10.2 or not. I don't know yeah, what it was. It, it, was, it was a while yeah. ago. So uh, there's a few rumors suggesting that that might be available on the iPad uh, for the average consumer. So if you have kids yeah, or, would be nice. or share an iPad among family members, it yeah, for sure. That's definitely on my wish list. Uh, let's see. They talked about dark mode. There was rumors about a dark mode last year, and I think one or two apps added dark mode. I can't remember which ones, but you know, we might see more dark mode apps coming out. That I'm not all that excited about dark mode. I know for some people that's a pretty good feature. Of, yeah, there's a lot of people who love dark mode. I mean, tvOS got dark mode, so. Yeah. I'm sure they just need to flip the switch for iOS and boom, we get dark yeah. mode. I could see them doing a dark mode if maybe the, if they add like that, um, was it the, the light temperature setting, the sensor that's on the iPad Pro, the, the, like the smaller night iPad or... Pro? Not night shift, but they, the, um, no, the true color, true, yeah, whatever it's true called. Tense. I don't that know. sounds right. I forget the name of it, but it like matches the color temperature to your lighting in, in the room so that you always, in theory, get the screen looks the same, regardless of if you have like super bright white lights or like or sun or or sun or yeah. like dim yellow lights or whatever, or really warm lights. Incandescence or yeah, I could see them maybe even switching to a dark mode if you're say in a dark theater or for instance. Is it? It's pretty annoying to look around sometimes at like your show, your son's concert show, and there's all these faces buried in these big bright white screens. So it would be nice if they could, if those would shift over to a dark mode. And they already do a uh, automatic screen dimming if that's enabled. It seems like dark mode would be a nice addition to that. Yeah, it doesn't seem like you need special hardware for that like the true tone screens or whatever they're called, but you never know. Yeah. So iOS uh, 11 probably will have some type of UI changes. You guys have any thoughts on what direction they might be going? I know there was an interview not too long ago with, I forget if it was Phil Schiller or Craig mentioned there would be UI improvements. So I, they've already kind of hinted that's coming, just not any specifics. Personally, I'm hoping that, they kind of take a take a look at Google's material design and and build on on that, or at least you know take a page out of their book and and do something a little bit more robust and a little bit more thought out throughout the design language. I mean, there's still things that are a bit inconsistent, and it sounded like we might get a little bit of the drop shadows back, and maybe buttons might be a little bit more buttony. Can't wait for more buttony buttons. <laughs> yeah. But I, I would love to see something that's a little bit more complete than what we have today. I would love to see forms um, given a lot more thought. You know, the material design addresses how to deal with validation and hints and and feedback and um, labels uh, within a text field. Um, you know, we don't really have a great drop down solution. Um, 
you know, there's a decent number of things that, you know, I think a lot of developers are basically just using material design knockoffs on iOS. Certainly Google is, and it actually looks pretty good on iOS. So hopefully Apple will try and fill the gap there and, and provide something a little bit more robust. Yeah, I would like to see something that goes beyond just appearance proxies and more of a theming system like Android has. Yeah, that can get a little complicated with all that XML, but... Oh, I don't want that. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely something better than that, but... Well, I mean, they could certainly put in something like interface builder level, like, you know, it might be XML under the hood, but, you know, there's certainly ways of creating themes and... Uh, like Paint Code does a really great job of having kind of symbolic names for colors and and styles. So being able to use that throughout as a put and just have that reference, like here's the default font, um, and then you could just change it in one place and it updates everywhere. That would be a big improvement, you know, from an interface builder standpoint as opposed to uh, doing it all uh, with the appearance proxies. Yeah, definitely something more formalized because it's really easy to go in and take an Android theme and just kind of customize it a little bit with your own custom color scheme. And then, boom, you have an app that has some distinction to it. Yeah. That, that still looks good, fits in with the operating system, but has its own little personalized flair. Yeah, I think out of the box, Android apps look better than a stock iOS app today. And I think, gen generally speaking, there's more UI components out of the box with material design. Uh, yeah, they, they have that whole backported library that, yeah. that has all these things, like the, the floating action but, button and whatnot that they didn't necessarily have out of the box when they introduced them, but it has been formalized so that even older apps can utilize these kinds of features yeah. or older yeah. phone operating systems, I should say. So one component that Mac OS got last year is the NS grid view. And I could see that coming to iOS this year, uh, which essentially is a, a grid kind of like the table UI table view, but a multi-dimensional grid. And there's not a lot of, you know, you're probably not making a lot of grids unless you're doing like a spreadsheet app or a Gantt chart or a resource plan or something like that, but calendar maybe. Well, but maybe, I mean, maybe some of this stuff doesn't make as much sense on a phone, but if they're trying to push, you know, more productivity apps or cooler apps for, for iPad, it would make sense to have a grid view. Although I'm still kind of confused. It, like It wasn't so much of a I, grid view as it was a grid layout. So most of those like property sheets that you see inside of Mac, Mac OS can be implemented with the, with the grid view. You're right. You're so right. It's, I, it's not I necessarily, was... yeah, it's not a bunch of squares and boxes. Which it's, it's you could do layout. that, but you're right. It's, it's a little bit more complex with more of a layout. Okay. So it's, it's more of a like grid bag layout. Yeah. Which, or yeah, like yeah. HTML table views. Yeah, so okay. not quite, kind of not quite flexbox. Uh, kind but. of like what we wanted stack views to be. 
Yeah, I, I think. Is it? I, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I think you're right. I think that's kind of where my, you know, it's been a while since I looked at it, and I was, for in my mind, I was thinking UI table view was kind of the, the sibling, but I think it might be UI stack view. Yeah, I mean, I think that was what everyone I knew tried to do with stack views. Like you start nesting them and things just start going wacky. Yeah. And maybe some of that stuff's gotten better. Well, you also can't like align, you know, two columns. columns Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It seems like it could be really cool. Yeah. But I was like, yeah, I thought people were heading, or I thought Apple in general was heading more towards a collection view type stuff. Like we talked about an episode two ago with the deprecating UI table view for for that yeah. kind of stuff. So, okay. Now I'm kind of excited about potential UI grid view. That could be really nice. Yeah, I, I could definitely see that coming to iOS. So that was kind of it for iOS. I'm sure there's going to be other things, but those were kind of the things that bubbled to the top for us. Um, and honestly, you know, watchOS, we got a lot of improvements last year. I, I don't know... If I can think of too much for watchOS 4 that we don't already have, other than just improved performance um, and making it easier for devices or apps on the device to, to work standalone. I think there's probably some hardware dependency there, so I don't, I, I don't know how far watchOS will go. I personally didn't have any predictions. Did you guys have anything uh, that you're, you're hoping to see? If anything, I could see us getting some more kind of user-facing features, maybe not as much on the development front. Although maybe they could let us write more directly to stuff. I mean, watchOS 3, every time they say, oh, now you can do all this stuff, but you're still kind of limited to what you can do with with all the view-level stuff in, in watchOS 3. Right, it's not yeah. dynamic so, or anything. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe we could get some of that from a programming standpoint, and I could see some new custom customizability type stuff for watch faces or yeah, I, something along those lines. I still don't think we have core animation yet. On but we have Sprite Kit. We have Sprite Kit, so, yeah, and we have. Um, I think that's we also, their their custom animation solution. Is that yeah. you think that'll be it? We're not going to get some of the lower level stuff that we're used to using. Um. I could be. Yeah, I'm not sure. Being that you could say animate a button or a view into place or, or whatever, which would be nice, or at least make a make for a nicer possibility. You certainly wouldn't want to try to do that in something like Sprite Kit. Yeah, and there's also not a lot of customization you can do to the controls, like in terms of color style. Um, background images, I, I think it's fairly limited. So, you know, there's probably yeah. ways of accomplishing certain designs, but, you know, it's there's not much you can do short of going to like a sprite kit or scene kit to basically build your app in, in one of those. Yeah, because you're basically programming UI kit by proxy. And that's, that's all watch kit really is. I think somewhere, somewhere in the, the under the hood, it Got a name of sock puppet, at least in the 1.0 days. Yeah, that made more sense in 1.0 when you actually were running it on the phone, and then it was just kind of pushing all the changes to your watch so that you could see them. But yeah. so, what about uh, Mac OS? What do you think we're going to see the next version there? 
I mean, definitely New Safari, which you can already go and download previews for. With that, the, is it the Safari tech previews, is that what they call it? I, yeah, I think that's right. Something like that. Yeah, the purple Safari. Yeah. Yeah, they just started doing something to that, too, where it, like, updates more often or something like that. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I would like to see WebRTC support in Safari. That way I don't have to use Chrome to do some of the the video and audio conferences that I do. Oh, yeah, I've heard that from lots of people on across all platforms for all WebKit, but, yeah, that would be cool. I, I called it the next version of Mac OS because I'm convinced this is a time when they align the version numbers. We get Mac OS 11. Uh, I could see that. Yeah. But I think I said that last year, too. So <laughs> <laughs> well, we had, the, the, well, they had a perfect opportunity. I guess they're 10. all 10 now. So now they're all. Yeah. So except for watch OS. Yeah. Well, and TVS, but whatever. Oh. TVS is always like point one version off from. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they'll align TVOS with iOS. That would at least make me happy. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it has been somewhat aligned, at least by by major version. Oh yeah, but they've always it's always been like point one behind for some reason. Whenever they come out with a new version, maybe they skipped a version or something like that. I don't know, but it was like that for TVOS nine too. I think. I think it might also yeah. have lined up with hardware announcements. Like it kind of got pushed until the hardware was ready. The only other thing I'm kind of expecting with Mac OS, and, and this might apply to iOS as well, but um, I could see Apple splitting Apple Music off as a separate app from iTunes, so it's not all intermingled the way it is today. Yeah, I would love my music app on iOS to get split off from Apple Music, but for some reason I don't see that happening. Yeah. Perhaps not. It, it would make sense on Mac OS, maybe. Well, I think they were. I think I saw a discussion about uh, Apple Music coming to Windows. Was it Apple Music? iTunes was coming to the Windows build or the Windows Store, basically. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because yeah. they have their new version of Windows that's that you can only like iOS download from stuff that's in okay. the the Microsoft Windows Store. So I. Chrome is not in it, and sounds like it may not ever be in the Windows Store, but it sounds like Microsoft wants stuff to be in there. So, yeah. well, they got the same kind. I forget what they call it, but they have something like Gatekeeper that makes it more difficult yeah. to install third-party apps. Sentinel or something, I think, or some weird name. Right, they have that for normal Windows, but isn't does Windows? I think it's called Windows 10 S have that. It's basically just like Windows 10 sandbox or whatever that they're installing on cheaper computers. Right. And then you can pay, I think, $50 to jailbreak essentially your, your laptop. I'm all for that. Let's, let's uh, give Apple 10 bucks and I can install third party app stores on my (laughs) iOS device. (laughs) Never going to happen. <laughs> no. But it would be cool to see Steam on your iPhone. I think that you can already do Moonlight. What's that? It lets you stream Steam. Is that what you're talking about? Uh, or? No, it's just like a Steam app store on your... Like just for games or something? Yeah, it could be cool. Or maybe an Amazon app that actually lets you buy stuff, since <laughs> they don't have to go through the app store. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> speaking of Amazon... Sounds like we might finally get our Amazon video app in 
in the next version of TVOS, or at least they're going to announce it at DubDub if the rumors are true. So it seems like they may have worked out a deal or something. Yeah, that, that'll be that'll be nice to have. I've been boycotting the Amazon Prime video service <laughs> until I can watch it on TVOS, so I might have some good content to catch up on. You're not missing out on a whole lot of good content, but there are a few good series. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else people are expecting for TVOS or? There's not much I can think of. I yeah, I could see some more around HomeKit. You know, especially if if this Siri device comes out, maybe there's some interplay there. Um, I think I saw some proposal for you know, like Alex, if you have your doorbell camera or security cameras hooked up, you know, theoretically you should be able to see oh, those on your. For that. Your uh, TV on the big screen. Wasn't it originally okay. built as a HomeKit hub? Yeah. Did, did that just never really pan out? I think no, if it, you're accessing no, it outside, it does do that. if you're away from home, home, the Apple TV is that hub that you connect through. There's no configuration or anything for it. It just kind of magically happens. But it, once you have an Apple TV fourth gen and you're on the same Wi-Fi network as your HomeKit stuff, yeah, like Alex said, it makes it available to be controlled from outside the network. Okay. So it, do, it does work. Yeah. I just, you don't realize it's going through the Apple TV, probably. <laughs> I mean, I don't have any HomeKit-enabled devices, so I don't I don't know. So I really don't have anything to compare to. It just seems to me like a HomeKit hub, I should be able to pull up an app on my Apple TV and view the status of my house, all the connected devices in my house on there. But I guess that's more just a, a phone thing, right? Yeah, I think the iPad's got a fairly oh, yeah, robust experience, but the TV yeah. isn't quite there yet. Yeah, I wonder if maybe like uh, combined with Siri, it might make sense to get a home app on, on tvOS. Because at first on iOS, they basically just had like built-in support for the devices and the API, but there was not even an app built into iOS that you could control it with. You had to download a third-party app to control your HomeKit stuff. But we got that in iOS 10, so maybe we get Home app other places on in iOS 11, or in the next version, maybe on, on Mac OS, maybe on tvOS. That could be cool. We'll have to tweak the Focus Engine, make that a bit better. That's a common complaint with Apple TV developers, that the, the Focus Engine, when you want it to do something that it doesn't want to do. It's really hard to fight. So I can imagine a home app on your TV maybe being hard to actually program with the Focus Engine. Yeah, it may be better just for viewing stuff or something. So kind of related to that, Google has Android Things, which is kind of their Internet of Things uh, DIY solution. I wonder if Apple will also try and get more into the Internet of Things world. I mean, with HomeKit is kind of their way of securing and managing those Internet of Things. But uh, I think Apple recently filed a patent for some small, low-powered RFID slash Bluetooth LE device. Um, that's kind of a mystery device um, that could potentially play into an Internet of Things world. It, yeah, I don't see them as being the the hacker friendly company. 
they're not. But yeah. like, I, I think we all see how difficult it is for these existing vendors to get on the home kit. So I could definitely see Apple providing a way, especially for some up and coming startups in that internet of things world, you know, if they can provide something to get there faster. I think it's, yeah, I think it's far fetched, certification but, is, you know, usually often when Google does something or Android does something, Apple's not too far behind. So I thought I'd throw that out. Yeah. Apple is pretty hardcore about the security requirements and all that stuff on the HomeKit front. That's how I think how they're trying to differentiate themselves. Like I, I'm pretty sure I looked at this a while ago. You have to build it in a build whatever thing you build in a HomeKit approved facility, and it has to come out and be certified in this like super long process by Apple to make sure that the facility you you make your stuff in is even appropriate. So yeah, I wonder if they'll roll back some of that a little bit so that they can actually get. HomeKit stuff out to people. Maybe. But that's where I think them having some sort of I don't device know, to help out with that that manufacturers could could use as a stepping stone. At least some of the, the small startups. But I'm still waiting for my garage door opener to be HomeKit enabled. Like it's got the connectivity there. It just yeah, the brand was up on the slide when HomeKit was discussed and all these vendors were listed same with a bunch of other vendors and many of which still haven't shipped HomeKit devices. Um, it was supposed to what? be available this past April and they missed their date again. It won't be in currently. They pushed it out to sometime this summer. I'm not sure if fully, but that was new hardware, wasn't it? Well, that was just HomeKit capability. It is mostly new hardware. Um, they had an existing non HomeKit version. Uh, but this will be their first HomeKit well, capable device. I think I have a, I have a similar garage door opener to you, and I think so. They have, they have the remote control certified hard or whatever. But then they have another piece that you need to connect to the internet, and that's the piece that they were gonna come out with a new uh, HomeKit certified version of. I think does that sound right to you? Mostly. And that, I thought that was supposed to come out in April, but I guess that didn't. That's a bummer. Yeah, no, it slipped again. So it's been, I think, over two years now, or almost two years now, since they were up on the featured among other vendors during the keynote, and they still haven't shipped. And I'm sure they're not the only ones that have had trouble for one reason or another getting uh, the HomeKit certified devices out there. And a lot of vendors just yeah. kind of punted and created a bridge to their bridge. So they had the HomeKit bridge that then talked to their existing devices over Zigbee or whatever they had in place already. Yep. So, all right. Well, that's all the time we have left this week. Uh, we'll, we'll follow up with some more stuff. Um, but when next time, but until then, where can we find you guys on the internet? You can find me at AJ Robinson on Twitter. And you can find me at Sam Quarter. You can find me at Alex Argo and the podcast at Shared Inst on Twitter. Uh, come join us in our Slack uh, by going to chat.sharedinstance.com and recommend us on Overcast. Leave us a review on iTunes and all that groovy stuff. Uh, we'll talk to you guys next week.